0: Thank you for joining us today at Renovatus, a church for people under renovation. If you have a prayer need, would like to talk with a pastor, or want to share how this message impacts you, we would love to hear from you. Email us at info@renovatuschurch.com. At if you desire to support us in the work we are doing for the kingdom of God in Charlotte, you can give online at renovatuschurch.com. We hope you are truly blessed by today's message.
1: All right, so good to see everybody this morning. Um, if you have got your Bibles, we're going to be going coming from a couple of passages today. If you want to get ready, we're going to be coming from Luke one, and then a little later on from Isaiah. Uh, we're going to do something a little different this week. Uh, last week, Becky was supposed to preach for us, and uh, she got <laughs> snowed out, and uh, Which I was we all got a little snowed bit thankful out. for. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> thankful for. Um, because she had some things going on in her own life yes. that she needed to process anyway. So some of that, we may talk about some of that this morning even. So this week, I, I just feel like Advent is such an important time in the Christian calendar. It's the beginning of the new year for, for, uh, for the church. And uh, furthermore, we had discussed her sermon a few weeks ago. And I just thought, like, y'all would miss out if you didn't hear some of her thoughts around the passage from last week. So this morning, we're going to co-preach. Is that cool? Uh, and we're going to have a little bit of a dialogue. It's going to feel a little bit more like you're on a live recording of a podcast this morning than you are in a church service. Um, who doesn't love a podcast? Who right? doesn't love a podcast, right? <laughs> um, so, and the good thing is we have a captive audience, so they can't fast yes. forward or skip yeah. around or anything like that. Um, at any rate, we're going to dive right in, and we're just going to spend some time discussing these two passages and uh, talking about what they mean. And it's interesting because these two passages they go they go hand in hand very well, and then uh, we might end up our time this morning depending on how the Spirit leads our conversation. Uh, something you may or may not know about Becky and I: we are both Enneagram Sevens, and so uh, talking about grief and silence and how to find joy in the midst of grief and all that is something very difficult for us in general. Well, we and we find the joy we just, oh, just found find the degrees. joy <laughs> right yeah we, we we don't want that balance isn't yeah. struck yeah um so at any rate uh, i'm going to turn it over to becky she's going to read her text and she's going to give us some initial reflections on it and then we'll turn our attention to isaiah so
2: so my initial t- text was supposed to be from the lectionary last week but the lectionary led me to this so i guess that's the same <laughs> but um so the lectionary led me to luke and um what i like about luke is he's very logical very head-centered too, and um, I found it very interesting that when Luke opens up his passage, it's with Zechariah and talking to an angel in the temple. So I'll start there. Luke 1, 8 through 20. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As with the custom of the priest, he was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. You are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcohol drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will, make a, he will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But first, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So what I found interesting in this passage was um, that uh, he uses the exact passage of the last verse in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5 through 6 when he said he will turn the hearts of the father to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Um, So that was prophesied about Elijah. And um, after that last passage of the Old Testament, we don't hear anything until the New Testament, which is four generations later. And so um, I found that interesting, like the silence part, because we don't hear anything for four generations like, I don't know what they were doing, if they were working. I think they were building the temple and just trying to regroup. And um, so a lot of times we we don't like silence. As a seven, as I'm talking right now, I'm trying to fill every silent void there is <laughs> 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 with my nervousness. But um, it's definitely something that I've learned to incorporate in my spiritual practice. And this, the silence between both of these is the long-suffering of the trying to get back to our promises of a deeper salvation and spirituality with the Israelites. And with Zechariah, I feel like it's a time where he's learning to give up his control. If you look at Zechariah, as he explains, he is a very, like, he does everything right. He was very loyal to God. He was very godly. And, like, to me, I feel like that silence was a blessing. Because it's the time where we give up our own willpower an ego, and let something greater fill the spaces in between. And um, I saw this, as I was studying this, I saw this Eckhart Tolle quote on silence. To listen to the silence wherever you are is an easy and direct way of becoming present. Even if there is noise, there is always some silence underneath and in between the sounds. Listening to the silence immediately creates stillness in you. So um, we look at that as like, God, he silenced him for nine months. That's a long time. But to me, what if that was a blessing? Because he seems, when I look at Zachariah, I feel like he's an Indian grown six. <laughs> Do we have any sixes besides my husband? <laughs> okay. But um, sixes, I know a lot about one, I married one. They're very loyal, very by the book, and very logical. And this was a very illogical thing to happen to. A very normal person so I love that his first reaction was like how can I be sure of this like how can you like give me something so in that regard I do think the silence was another act of his of the Lord answering him like well I'll give you silence and so not only that will that help you but that's also going to prepare you for what I have mm-hmm.
1: So very good very yeah. good um, yes I, when we talked last week about Advent and what Advent is and we, we explored Advent being kind of an in-between time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's, it's this opportunity for us. And for, for some people, they get excited about that. For most people, in-between times are very uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we know what we're looking forward to, and sometimes we're not so sure what it is that's coming our way, right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> particularly last week I mentioned grief, and grief is one of those things that <clears throat> I'm not okay. sure it ever has, like, a final moment where you go, okay, now I'm through that. Yes. I'm over that, right? We want that,
2: though. Yeah, we want that, <laughs> we, yes. I so want that, but it's that's what makes it awkward, I feel like, too, is you're mm-hmm. like, because with me, I don't know if some of y'all know, but um, I had two clients pass away in the same week two weeks ago, and, like, I loved these clients, and so, like, I gave my time, myself time to grieve, you know, I got in my fields, listened to the music, like, Went to the, the funeral and, like, just let myself have that time. And so the next week, I'm like, let's get back to work. Let's do this, this, and this. And then that grief kept coming at the, up at the most random times in the, in the weirdest, most unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I would be doing clients' hair, and then I would just start getting really nervous and hot. And I'm like, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> and then when I kind of sat and, like, started observing why I was going through those things, I was like, oh, this is part of the grief like Mm. it's not what I want or how you know I want it to be more structured I guess and make more sense but it's something past our logic into the heart Mm. is what I've learned too
1: yeah yeah and so in those in between times whether we know what we're expecting Mm -hmm. or whether we're not exactly sure what it is what kind of hope is at the end of the tunnel or what that looks like um, what I hear you saying is that silence Plays an integral role in that season of it being in between. Yes. Like in that season of sitting with it and yes. and wrestling the uncomfortableness. Through, the it's uncomfortableness.
2: Like, we don't want it, but we need it. Yeah. And it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does, but there, it also gives you a deeper joy too, because yeah. like me as a seven, yeah, I'm always thinking I'm not doing enough, mm. like um, with hair. Like I'm a very like deep person, but. I guess in the beauty industry, some of it can be kind of shallow. So I'm like, am I in the right place? Is there more for me? But then, like, these relationships established with these people, like, I consider them friends, but I didn't know the depth of that friendship until they were gone. Mm -hmm. And that, like, uncomfortableness has, like, gave me a deeper appreciation for what I do.
1: Yeah, so good. And I think that that, too, speaks to... Our vocation as christians that yes. we're not just church when we gather yes but we are actually church more even more so church when we are scattered yes. right like when we're on the job and when we're you know so we come to church and we're really good at practicing silence for at least 30 yeah. minutes while somebody else talks right mm-hmm. um but this the practice of not just silence but other spiritual disciplines even, mm-hmm. within our lives as being the scattered church is so important right like there's yes. this Almost like this personal liturgy that we're invited into as Christians. And there's meaning in
2: the mundane, too. Like, Mm. I didn't realize that until those moments were gone, how sacred they were. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's what grief, I think it's a grounding for me. Mm. Like, it just, you know, one thing that caught my attention was that vapor is ground or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's because we're just here for a vapor. Yeah. But that right there is so grounding, too, Mm -hmm. in that silence.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, it's like it takes some of the burden off of us mm-hmm. as well, like especially silence, um, because not only am I a seven, I'm also someone who really likes to have the answers to things, and uh, which is tied to being a seven, because we're very logical and we want to process it and know what, yeah. what, we want to know all the ins and outs of it. But um, being invited into silence is kind of an invitation to let go of that burden of having to have the answers, Mm-hmm. Always having to have the answers, and if you've ever went through anything like an in-between season, especially if it's a heavy season, you know how important it is to um, to have that, to, to, to have that relief from the burden of having to have all the answers. So we'll circle back around. Let's let's go to the Isaiah passage and talk about some things there. So I'm actually reading from Isaiah 12, uh, which is where we started at this morning um, in our in our reading. This scripture actually replaces the psalm in the lectionary today, and it's a doxology. Actually, all of uh, Isaiah 12 is a doxology, but we'll start at verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth, shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let me provide just a little bit of context to this passage. Um, This is located within the first unit of Isaiah, often called First Isaiah. Uh, Unless you're empty right, then it's First Isaiah or Isaiah 1. I always like going to... uh, the theology conferences where they present papers and hearing the Australians and the, and the, and the folks from England speak because they say Isaiah, Isaiah that way. I always feel like I should say it that way too because it just sounds so right. <laughs> um, but I like to, I'm Southern so I like to draw out my A's. So Isaiah <laughs> 12, 12 <laughs> is located within that. And um, this section of Isaiah is, is a pretty doom and gloom section, right? I mean, it's, Judgment is coming, Judah is falling, the alliances have been made, the armies have been gathered, the sky is falling, it's all over. Ahaz, the best thing you can do is just hold on and wait for God to raise up a Messiah later at some point because it ain't happening right now. And, um, and there's even this tension, especially in these first 11 chapters, there's even these, this tension between Isaiah and Ahaz where you have Ahaz seeing that his little territory in Judah is soon to come under attack and wanting to respond by being proactive and by coming at uh, the armies that are gathered around them. And it, let me just say this, this is written during a time of a lot of geopolitical upheaval. You have Assyria is joining forces with Israel, actually not really joining forces, Israel has def- has deference towards Assyria at this point, and then you have Babylon, that empire really rising and having its sights set on this little area of southern Israel known as Judah. And so all these events are unfolding, Uh, it's pretty laid out, God is going to judge Judah, this thing is going to fall, all of these things. When we get to chapter 12, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. Um, the first 11 chapters, doom and gloom, a lot of political tension, a lot of talking between uh, Isaiah and the king and all of this kind of thing. Uh, but in chapter 12, we have a doxology. And it's if you read verse 1 of chapter 12, which we didn't read here, the prophet calls the people to respond to what is happening. Like This is, this is what they are called to do in response to the events that are happening. It's very strange. Um, so... At the end of all of this, Isaiah the prophet then directs his attention towards the people of Israel and calls them to make this, this kind of proclamation, that this is the kind of doxology um, uh, that should be given. And you see this a lot in Old Testament books, especially those uh, dealing with the Odyssey, like the laments even in Psalms, often end in a doxology, right? Like there's this deep grief, and then at the end of it, there's this great praise that is given to God. Um, And and there's like this exuberance that is given to God at the end of things, as things sort themselves out through the struggle. And that doesn't always mean it ends good, but as things sort themselves out, then you have this doxology. For instance, in the story of of, uh, Judah and Israel, you have Judah going into captivity in Babylon. But in Babylon, you have these tales of God still doing great things with his people in exile. You have the emergence of synagogues in exile, the people of God gathering together to read the scriptures and to remember their God and to remember their uh, heritage and what God had promised them. So even in the midst of the story not having a happy ending, you do see things sorting out in these Old Testament narratives in such a way that the people then are able to reflect and give God the glory. And, you know, even this passage, uh, Isaiah 12, is believed to have been included later it's actually very similar to, I think, Isaiah 40 or 41. There's a lot of similarities, and so some scholars believe that this was actually added in later, kind of as a break in the narrative of doom and gloom, as a reminder of what does eventually happen, right? Like there's this eventual moment in which all things can be seen for what they are, and glory is then given to God in that moment, right? It's, it's almost like this apocalyptic uh, Relevatory moment where it all comes together and the people respond to God um, with this with this kind of joy. So, you know, when we read this passage, when I look at it, there's a couple of connections that that stand out to me. The first is this is a similar theme as I've already said in stories of the Odyssey, but also in all of the prophets, where the narrative of judgment and the narrative of salvation seem to run together. And I remember when I was a kid, or not even a kid, but when I was a college student, and uh, Reed and I went to college together, by the way, for those who don't know. We had like two semesters together, at least. And uh, I remember Dr. Tatum in Old Testament Prophets, uh, or Old Testament Survey, talking about the prophets. And he would talk about this running together of the judgment themes and the salvation themes, right? And how, how we might want to read the prophets as stories of judgment, but that we really should read the prophets as stories of mercy and grace. Which sounds great, until you read the prophets.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: And then you're like, I just don't see it. Like, and now as Christians, trying to read those prophetic books through the lens of Jesus, who claims to show us the fullness of God, and shows us that God is actually a God of love, forgiveness, and justice which includes things that would be taken as judgment to those who are unjust. He's a God of goodness and love and grace and justice. So trying to then, as New Testament Christians, read that old, those Old Testament prophets and find that God is sometimes a very, very difficult thing to do, right? It's sometimes very difficult. Um, but I don't know. I, one of the things I just want to talk about for just a minute is... When you read this story of what is going to happen in Judah with Ahaz and, and Babylon and all of that, Isaiah does say that God is the one causing this, or at least allowing this. But it's almost like if you take God out of the picture, this stuff is still going to happen just because humans do what humans do, right? Like the powers that be, the conquering powers of Babylon. And their violence and what they wanted to accomplish would have driven them into this area regardless, right? Like it was, it's almost an inevitable fact without divine intervention because that's what empires do historically. And so this is what's happening in this area in this time, uh, and it's almost inevitable. And I, the people, I'm sure, obviously have made some very bad decisions that have led to this particular circumstance, but sometimes we often think of judgment as being like God's divine intervention to stop our bad ways. But sometimes judgment is just the consequences of our bad decisions, right? Like it's the inevitable culmination of what happens when sinful people do what sinful people do.
2: I also think it's the way to salvation
1: too. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, Go ahead. I love this on quote that. by
2: um, Jim Carrey.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is a great place for that. I actually that. really should, love Yeah, Jim this Curry. is a great place but, for that. Um,
2: Understanding suffering is the way to salvation because once you understand it, you have compassion and the next thing you know, you are free. Mm. And I just thought that was so deep because yeah. like we have those judgments in the mm-hmm. Old Testament, but those are leading to a way of salvation. Exactly. Too. Yeah. You know, we're trying to comprehend through grief and our own struggles and shame mm-hmm. that God is bringing something. We don't know what, but he's bringing it. Yeah. So um I love how they put that praise back, break, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, did. they thought they needed a praise break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Need a praise break, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and that reminds me, too, of the New Testament uh, scripture in Romans. All things work together for the good of those who love him. Yeah. And so even in our bad decisions, I don't know about y'all, but I've had some things that God has reversed in my life, right? Like, you're supposed to mm-hmm. reap what you sow, but that is the word of salvation, is when God's grace intervenes and says you're not going to, or that you're going to reap some good things that you didn't sow. That's God's act of divine intervention, right? I mean, sometimes the things we experience are just the nature of the world that we live in, Mm -hmm. uh, either by our own decisions or by things that are happening around us that are just inevitable. We don't have any control over. That
2: pain becomes a part of you, but it's also like takes you to that deeper part of you too. Mm -hmm. And, um, Like us, for instance, you know, we're a church that's been through it, but like we've, for me, I feel like a deeper connection to y'all because of it. Mm. And I don't know if I would have had that before. I think I would have just kind of enjoyed what we had and Mm -hmm. that was it. But to go through it with y'all has been like a way to salvation that I would have never found on my Mm -hmm. own, doing it myself, just on the outskirts.
1: I can't tell you how many times I hear that, by the way, Mm -hmm. either from this congregation, that some of the difficult times... have actually conditioned us for such a time as this um, to do the things that we feel like God is calling us to do and to to continue to carry out God's call on this community. I think it's
2: fulfilling our calling that we asked for in the beginning. Yeah, If we hadn't known it, had we taken that road? (laughs) Absolutely,
1: absolutely, yeah. And this comes back to apocalypse a bit too, right? Like Mm -hmm. apocalypse is a way in which God reveals things to us. Uh, And sometimes we need that revelation. You know. yeah. And this, this also combats against, and this is a rabbit trail, so forgive me, yeah. but this also combats against like really bad theories of the atonement in which we imagine God as being this father that needs to let out all his anger on his son and just beat his son to death so that he can love us. Um, it kind of removes that because in essence, what Jesus does on the cross is not so much God unleashing his violence on them, on him as much as it is Jesus revealing the violence in human hearts. And allowing the powers to do what the powers do to him, right? Like laying down his life and exposing them. We even see this in Colossians. He made a spectacle of them, Colossians 1. He revealed them for what they are. Revelation. The whole narrative of Revelation is God allowing evil to do what evil does so that evil can be exposed for what it is. Like that's where true revelation and justice comes from is when evil is completely revealed. But that is a painful process, right? It's difficult and it's, it's challenging. Um, but there is divine intervention. And that's what I want to say here. In Isaiah, what we have in this passage is, is that despite what is happening, there is a God who has the final word. And that final word is the word of salvation. It's the word that God will save. God will bring his justice to bear on the moment, God will bring His righteousness to bear on the moment, both in our personal lives, and I believe even in the world in which we live, in which we inhabit. If we think of, uh, if we think larger than just our own personal salvation, but think about how God is at work, actively saving the world, we see how God is uh, how God uses these moments as times of revelation, as times of exposure. This word salvation in uh, in Isaiah twelve. It appears three times in Isaiah 12, which is more than it appears in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. So, um, this is like definitely like a a praise break, a moment of reflection. That despite what is happening in Judah, God has the final word. And that word is a word of salvation. So, uh, let's connect some dots here okay. uh, see what has come out of this for for us um, you've already spoken a little bit about how this affected you personally but I just wonder is there anything else anything more you want to talk about in terms of well, how with stillness
2: like that's something I've learned like through the really hard times that I needed um, a lot of people don't know this but about two when my baby when my second was four months old I had my thyroid taken out I had cancer and I'm fine now you have to have cancer that's the one to have because it's not very life-threatening but um she was four months old when I was trying to go through that so I was trying to work and try to stay on it was working out I think right after my surgery like a week later trying to go to work and work out and so to me that was me trying to stay on top of it and I was also trying to outrun emotionally what this was teaching me and so um for me it was either I had to to learn stillness or I was going to go crazy because um, like a, I think about a month after I had my thyroid taken out, once a month I would be, have a night of insomnia and then like I think three or four months after that I had four nights of insomnia and um, I knew that something had to change and you know I called my doctors and custom until they finally put me on some medicine (laughs) and I'm a big advocate for meds when you need them but um not only that but I I knew something was right but I couldn't figure it out because it wasn't logical so um and I think that's what grief and stillness teaches us stillness teaches us to go behind the logic into what is there eternally so um And it's funny because as I was going through the cancer, I was like, I was already like in the future saying, God's going to use this and blah, blah, blah. But that was me trying to control it still. And so like one thing that silence and grief is, has taught me is to like give it space and let that shape you. So, um, which is funny, as I mentioned with the church thing, because when John and Emily Stone left, it was like, I think my baby was 18 months old then and that's when I hit the wall and I was just like either Lord you're gonna have to take me or I'm done but for me that was the best worst thing that could happen because like it showed me everything that I needed to see that was not working and to restructure that and it wasn't a logical thing it was a heart thing that I had to change and um You know, when we're defenseless and we feel like there's nothing more is when we can give up total control. And um, the hopelessness of grief has shown me that there is another side of salvation that I cannot control and that I cannot really have any say in that it just happens to you. But to me, that is the moment of freedom right there. And that's like one thing through our shared collective grief is that I have found a freedom that I just did not know existed. Mm, wow.
1: do I'll see why I let her share today, right? Like, <laughs> like, wow. So when she shared some of these things with me, I was, it just really resonated with me. And by
2: the way, I'm off my prescriptions. <laughs> <It's> my <laughs> <life>. <laughs> Besides my thyroid medicine, but going into that grief when all that happened and feeling it collectively made me force and look in my own grief mm. and like What's there? What do I need to see? Like, what do I need to sit with? So I established, like, a yoga, like, stillness thing, something I could do more discipline in doing. And um, you almost have to, for me, it was getting behind the logic and getting into the crazy. Yeah. And there's freedom. Yeah. And being crazy. That's why I yeah. love Jim Carrey. Like, people think he's crazy. I was like, no, he's just free.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sevens, sevens, though, we frantically avoid that, right? Like, we <gasps> yes. frantically avoid because we want to logically understand the feeling. Mm-hmm. And when feelings are illogical, it is the worst. It will it keep you up at night. Insomnia, yes. it will. And your mind is running 100 miles an hour looking at the feeling from every single possible angle that you can. Yeah. Uh, and if you get around other sevens, it's like, then you do it together.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's
1: like, Ugh. <laughs> um, So, you know, this is why this, this invitation into silence. This invitation into reflecting on God's salvation in the midst of turmoil. Because it doesn't fit. When I read this, this through, through Isaiah, it's like, they ain't even through this thing yet. And it's all, we're already doing this in Isaiah 12. But it's this invitation to see behind the thing. Like Becky said, to see behind the logic. To see behind the thing that is happening. Um, and in particular with Advent, when we talk about Advent being this in-between season and a time to kind of liturgically lean into that a bit and to kind of participate in that as a worshiping community because it's inevitable in our own lives. We often hear people use pregnancy like the promise of Jesus or the promise of uh, John the Baptist of Zechariah as an, as an analogy for Advent, that there's this in-between time, but you're waiting for uh, the hope. But one of the things I think these texts challenge us to think about is, what is it like to be in in-between moments where the end result isn't the birth of a baby of hope? Mm -hmm. What then, right? Like, what if the thing that's ahead is you know your job is coming to an end, or that the divorce is going to be final, or that the diagnosis is not going to change, Right? Those are the really difficult seasons, right? It's easy to imagine in between times as, at the end of all this, we've got this waiting for us.
2: And the first thing we want to do is get logical. Yes. Like, just kind of sit with it. And I know it sucks. It does. The thing with emotional pain is, like, you don't know when it's going to end. And that's what's terrifying to me. And so, like, but I do believe that there is an ending in emotional pain. Yeah. And you just have to, I think the way to pain or the way away from the pain in a sense or to is to go through it go through it yeah Yeah. absolutely absolutely and that's and
1: not just and not just do we not know when it ends we often don't even know when it's going to hit us yes you know especially if you're dealing with grief Mm -hmm. because it comes as you were saying working it comes when you least expect it right Um, but at the end of the day at the end of the day these passages remind us that if we believe the biblical narrative as as being something inspired by God to give us hope, to give us sustenance, to provide for us in these seasons, then we have a narrative that shows us a God that has the final word and that final word is salvation. That does not mean that there's a timeline to it or that there's a guaranteed result at the end of it or any of those things. It just means that as these stories run together, God's faithfulness to us is the script that matters most. God's faithfulness to us is the script that matters most. Amen? Can I say one more thing? Final thoughts, please.
2: Um, Zechariah, when he finally does um, get to speak again, he's praising the Lord. And even after his silence, as he's praising the Lord, he's, he's knowing that the Lord is going to do something amazing through his life and his family's life But it's still more than he can comprehend because he is, when you look at his song of praise, he's still talking about the liberation of Israel Mm. as a country. And he has no idea that throughout that pain and silence and stuff that the Lord had an even bigger thing. Mm. And that's another thing we try to do is we're like, oh, I bet the Lord's going to use this and blah, blah, blah. Well, he may not even use it in your lifetime. Mm. (laughs) He may use it on his own account in his own way. And that's another thing for me about giving up control. Yeah. It's just don't imagine the big picture. Let the big picture happen itself.
1: Mm. We are more valuable to God than we can ever imagine, but we're not nearly as important as we think we are. Yes. (laughs) That's the truth. Can we give Becky a hand? And I want to thank her. for. At this time, our uh, worship leaders can come up and get ready to prepare some music for us. We're going to enter into our communion part of the service. Before we do that, I'm just going to, our, our musicians can come on and start playing. I just want to lead us in a prayer, pastoral prayer. It has been uh, our staff, at our staff meetings, every staff meeting we have every week, we share, we share pastoral care concerns that have come across our um, path that week, whether it be from kids ministry or a volunteer there, um, whether it be from... Um, women's ministry and some of our administrative stuff, whether it be things that just come directly across my path, but our staff, every week, you should, you, you should know this, every week we share what has come across our path in your lives and, and what is happening. And then before we talk business, we pray, and we pray for you, and we lift you up, and we, we pray for those needs. Over the past several weeks, that, that stack, it seems, has been getting... Higher and higher. And, um, and we're just in a season right now. Many, many, many of us are in a season right now of deep pain and struggle and grief and in between seasons, um, career changes, health crises, um, family struggles, all those things. And we come in here on Sunday and, and we don't have near enough time to really explore those with one another. And I know many of you do in your CLGs and in your various ministries. And we've accomplished a lot this year, and we have a lot to accomplish as a church, but, and by that I mean just leaning into more and more into what God's calling us, calling us to. But I also just want to say, Renovatus, um, that in the midst of our revitalization, it's okay to stop and take a breather sometimes, spiritually, mentally, physically, and just to sit with what's going on, right? Like just to, just to be human and to know that God is faithful and to know that God is good. To just be still and know that He is God, right? And not just in the life of our church, but this is also Christmas seasons, like one of those seasons where it's like got to do all the things, got to check all the boxes. Um, that's great. Do what you want to do. Enjoy the seasons. Enjoy time together but also be intentional in this season about taking care of you and loving you and letting God love on you because these are tough times. These are difficult seasons and you are indeed the apple of God's eye. You're not near as important as you think you are but you're valuable to God. Very, very valuable to God. So let's stand together before we take communion and let's just pray for one another. Um, If you feel comfortable join hands with the person beside of you or just lay your hands up on the shoulder of the person beside of you. We can even join across the aisle if you like. And let's just pray for one another. Let's lift one another up. You don't know what uh, your neighbor is experiencing. You don't know what they're facing. You don't know what they're going through. And even if you do, you don't really know what they're feeling. But God does. And God is able uh, in each of these situations to bring his comfort and his peace and his reminders of his faithfulness. Amen? Father God, we, um, we come before you this morning on behalf, not of ourselves, but of our brothers and our sisters, God. We, we've got our own burdens, Lord. But God, we just pray for one another. We pray, God, for comfort and peace. We pray for those who are going through transitions in their lives. We pray for those who are expecting great things. We pray for those who are expecting sad things. We pray for those who are experiencing grief and loss. We pray for those who are struggling, especially in the holiday seasons, God, with family tension and family struggles. We pray for those who are dealing with um, diagnoses, God, that don't look promising or that are difficult. We pray for those who are in pain. Pray for those who are suffering. We pray for those who seem to be in a season of lack, God. We pray, Spirit, that you comfort, that you love on our brothers and sisters, that you remind us of your faithfulness, God, that you remind us of your goodness, that you remind us that all things work together for the good of those who love you, Lord. And that God, you're going to pick up these broken pieces and we don't know what you're going to make out of it. But God, we know that you are a master builder, a master potter. And God, you know exactly, exactly God. Our future, what we're feeling in the present, and what we need to make it to the next day. And so Lord, we just pray that you do those things in us that only you can do. Give us the comfort that we can't give one another. Give us the faith that we can't necessarily give one another. And God, help us in this season to be still and to know. To be still and to know God. In Jesus' name, amen amen. This time our communion servers can come and get ready. Receive communion this morning, you're welcome to receive communion with us. We have an open table, so if you're here and would like to participate, you are invited to. We'll also have prayer partners at the front of the church this morning. If you need special prayer for anything at all, they would love to pray with you. And um, if you're a guest with us and do not want to receive communion, that's fine. No judgment here, but if you would like to, you are more than welcome to. Let's read the invitation together. This is the table, not of the church but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it's the Lord who invites you And it is his will that those who want him should meet him here.
0: Thank you again for joining us. We invite you to send your requests and stories to info at renovatuschurch.com and give by visiting our website, renovatuschurch.com. As we close every service at Renovatus, would you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done